is that everything you do costs you something. That's the reality. Everything, in a sense, is economics. You're willing to give something for something else. And if you are saying, I'm going to give my life to entertainment or to consumerism or to this, there's a cost to that. And God asks, think about how Jesus ends this thing. If you don't forsake what? All. You can't be my disciple. I love Jesus. Because Jesus was no nonsense, wasn't he? In whatever we set out to do, there's always risk. No matter how much we prepare, there is only so much we can control. Today, Pastor Daniel will explain why even following God isn't without risk, but a life without Him is much more so. Following our own way hasn't produced the life we planned, right? Operating on God's program won't be bump-free, but the long-term reward is worth it. Now, here's Pastor Daniel. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 8, with his continuing study entitled Guidance. Condemnation says you can't be forgiven, and that is antithetical. That goes against the teaching of the gospel. But, brothers, sisters, we all got folly, don't we? We all have a few dead flies in our perfume. So if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, go to the Lord, even right now in your heart, and just say, God, you know that my dead flies are there. Name them. Name them to the Lord. Say, these are my dead flies, and it's making my fragrance for you stink, Lord. And God will purify. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you need to get right with God. Because even if you're saying, I don't need Jesus, I could do it myself, I'm a good person, you know you aren't. You know that there's all sorts of stuff in your heart that isn't good at all. Selfishness, pride, covetousness, anger, bitterness. You guys have heard this story. I, you know, it's like you take the Ten Commandments when someone says, I'm a good person. Right? Oh, you're a good person. Oh, yeah? Did you ever say, I hate you anybody before? Most everybody went through the teenage years, so you said that at some point, you know? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. Do you ever, do you ever take anything that's not yours? I mean, like, you, you know, take a pencil from work or, you know, those very, very tempting bubblegum boxes when you're in the store when you're a little kid? How many of your kids are little thieves? Mine are. And I'm praying for them. It's like you come home, they pull stuff out of their pocket. We make them go back and give them back to the manager. It's really fun. It's terrifying. I feel bad for them, you know? Little covetous kids, you know. <laughs> they get that from their mom. <laughs> Stop, rewind the tape, let's omit that. Lynn's just like, huh? But kids do that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I, you guys do that when you were a kid, right? They had the little bubblegum things there. Right? Makes you a thief. Do you ever say, uh, do you ever have lust in your heart? Almost every adult has. Anyone goes through the teenage years. Makes you an adulterer. Do you ever keep the Sabbath day holy? Set apart for Jesus? No, so 
In four questions, you're a murdering, thieving, adultering, Sabbath breaker. So you're a great person. I mean, you're doing great, man. We've all broken the law. The only difference for somebody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus is that God has forgiven them. And that's really the name of the game, isn't it? When you have an extraordinary debt that you can't pay and you come to the Lord, Jesus has already paid it. You just haven't cashed in that gift. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's already paid your debt. And you're just saying, thank you, Lord. And you live your life saying, thank you to the Lord. But folly stinks. Look at verse 2. A wise man's heart is in his right hand and a fool's heart at his left hand. Now, this is not that God doesn't like people who are left-handed. Okay? Don't think God is, like, against left-handed people. The idea, and we've talked about this a lot, but it keeps coming up, so I want to keep addressing it, is that the right hand was considered the place of strength or the place of goodness. The idea is because most people are right-handed, if you are right-handed, your right hand is stronger and more dexterous than your left hand. And so the idea of a wise man's heart is in his right hand, it's, it's, it's part of his strength. But a fool's heart is in his left hand. His heart is a place of weakness because the problem, the reason folly stinks is the problem is traced to the human heart, not the actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, you act, you speak. And so the issue is in the heart, not in the hands. The hands show the symptoms. The heart is the root cause. So from there, look at what it says. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. So if your heart is full of folly, then it's going to play out in real time. You can't whitewash over the folly of our lives. It does play out, and people see it. Even if you walk around, you still don't have wisdom. And then you get these examples of, of wisdom and folly. You have these examples Things like, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, don't leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. So the idea is that if the king is upset with you, be a peacemaker. That's wisdom, as opposed to trying to go to war against the king when you're by yourself. It's just an area of wisdom. And look what it says in verse 5. It says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun. As an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. Now think about what he's saying here. And we, it keeps coming back to this in the book of Ecclesiastes, that just because you attain to wisdom does not mean that you will be exalted. And that's a hard reality for us, isn't it? Because what he's saying is like, look, I've seen servants on horses and I've seen the rulers walking around like servants. So just because you attain to wisdom does not actually mean that you're going to get everything you ever want in life. Just because you have wisdom that we're talking about does not mean that everything that you ever dreamed about you're going to get. Some of us work for bosses who are totally fools, but they're still your boss. Yeah, a lot of people are like, yeah. But you're experiencing the stinkiness of folly when you work for a boss who's a fool, right? You see what's going on. You're like, this is a mess, right? So because folly stinks. Now look at what happens next in verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, 
And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. Now, I believe verse 10 has the principle, and then we have examples before. And the principle is this. There is wisdom in planning. There is wisdom in planning. Notice what it says. Verse 10 says, quite simply, if the axe is dull, it's harder to chop some wood, right? So somebody who has wisdom sharpens his axe before he goes to do the work, right? And wisdom brings success. Now, what this is telling us is that there is wisdom in planning, that God is not against having a plan. Now, I think this is important because sometimes in church, we have this tendency to believe that if it's of the Spirit, it has to be instantaneous without any plan. And the Bible just never says that. The Bible does say that if you have to speak up about the Lord in an instant, extemporaneously, that the Holy Spirit will give you utterance in that moment. But if you have time to prepare what you're going to say, that's just smart. And God actually loves it when you plan. Because you know what happens when you're planning? You say, God, I need your wisdom on how to do this, what to do in my life, how to get at my life. And God, you know what he starts doing? He starts telling you, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. And hey, you might want to think about this. And hey, don't forget to get your oil changed. So there's wisdom in planning. And the wisdom that brings success comes from the guy who says, instead of just using all my strength to cut down this tree with a dull axe, who takes the 10 minutes to sharpen the axe, he can get the work done in a quarter of the time, and he still has more energy to do other things. So brothers and sisters, be wise in planning. And I believe that that speaks to us about intentionality in life. I believe that God's children should be hyper-intentional about the way you live your life. You think about people who are phenomenal athletes in the Olympics. They plan every aspect of their day so that they can win a gold medal. How much more should you and I plan and be intentional about the lives we live because we only live once under the sun and we want to maximize our life for God, his glory, and the betterment of humanity? All the people who we look at and say, that was a life well lived, all of them were highly principled and structured and planned in their lives. I've been reading about D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. I'm totally challenged because I I feel like I'm a pretty intentional person in my life. I really try to be. And then you read about someone like D.L. Moody who you're just like, man, I'm not intentional at all. This guy woke up every day with a singular driving passion. Brothers and sisters, we need to plan. And so when you think about it now, in these verses that we're leading up to it, he who digs a pit will fall into it. He who breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. The idea is whenever we decide on a certain piece of work, you will find the task will be easier if you make proper preparations, but nothing is risk-free. That's what this means. Nothing is without risk. So if you're going to dig a hole because you're going to do something, there's a risk that you might fall into it. If you break through a wall in that culture, there might be a snake in there. If you were quarrying rocks, you might get nicked by a rock. So nothing is without risk. And that's even why it's even important to be prepared. 
Because you realize that, hey, this endeavor is important, but there's always risk involved. And we're going to be seeing this kind of weave through what we're doing. I believe when God calls you in your life, there is risk to it. But I'm here to tell you, I would say that there is a greater risk by not following God than there is in following him. Because when you follow God, then you say, Lord, I don't have a clue what's going on, but you asked me to do this, and I don't understand why everything's falling apart. But when you're on your own way and you say, Lord, what's happening? He's like, look, this is your gig. There's more risk not to follow God than there is in following God. And when you set a course of action in the normal course of events, God doesn't make it without risk. But you know that a self-styled life is way riskier than a God-ordained life, isn't it? We want to be right where God has us, and we need to plan for it. I believe many of us need to go home today and you need to look at your calendar. You need to look at your finances. You need to say, God, am I intentional about doing the things that I know you've called me to do? Because listen, if you're not the old business maxim, if you've uh, failed to plan, what do you do? You plan to fail. If, you're, if your day is so hyper-scheduled with all the things that you do for entertainment, then you can't expect to be investing into eternity because you have everything dialed in. If your evenings are a steady stream of, I watch NBC on Mondays and ABC on Tuesday and ESPN on Wednesdays and all that, I guarantee you when you get to the end of your day, you'll know a lot about television programs, but you won't be like, my life meant something for eternity. And I'm not saying don't watch the television. I'm just saying you just don't need to do it seven days a week. There's other things that are important for life. And if you're saying to yourself, look, I want to invest in the kingdom, you might say, hey, look, when I'm looking at my finance, I don't need that third home or that second home, or I don't need my leisure boat that's really my biggest expense. Not that it's bad, but all your friends have boats too. Let them pay for it. (laughs) You can even help them with it because you're a servant of the Most High God. But if you're not intentional about your life, your life's going to get away from you. And there's many people in here who can say, yeah, my life kind of got away from me for a little while there. And it takes work and intentionality. But there's wisdom in planning because you want your life to be all that God would have it be. And we need to count the costs. Listen to Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. Jesus says this, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he was able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus is saying, listen, you need to count the cost. And the beauty of counting the cost is that everything you do costs you something. That's the reality. Everything, in a sense, is economics. You're willing to give something for something else. And if you are saying, I'm going to give my life to entertainment or to consumerism, or to this. There's a cost to that. And God asks, think about how Jesus ends this thing. If you don't forsake what? All, you can't be my disciple. I love Jesus. Because Jesus was no nonsense, wasn't he? He's like, look, unless I am your top priority, you can't be my disciple. 
Now, I realize America tells us a different story when it comes to Jesus. It says, look, you can just add Jesus in your census box under spirituality, and you can just live however you want, and you can have Jesus, and you get out of jail free card. And I'm here to tell you that's not Christianity. That's not. That's American culture with a veneer of Jesus. But guess what? The king of kings should not be a veneer. He needs to be the driving passion and principle of our lives. And I realize that's a radical statement, but I'm here to tell you, when you say, God, I forsake all my other things and I'm following after you, you know what God starts doing? He starts giving you all those things that you enjoy back, but now they're in the right place. They don't drive your life. They're just something that you get to enjoy along the way. It is not your God. He is your God. And these things become true areas of enjoyment for us. And don't get me wrong. Some things he never gives us back because we can't handle it or it's not good for us. But praise God for that. So brothers and sisters, there's wisdom in planning and I want to encourage you, be intentional about your life. Be intentional. Don't waste what God has given you. You need to sit down. You need to make a plan. You need to sharpen that ax so that you can cut down that tree and have energy to spare. You need to be intentional. And if you don't do it, no one will do it for you. God will not impose it on you. You have to say, Lord, I want to be intentional. I want to plan. Look what happens in verse 11. A serpent may bite, When it is not charmed, the babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No one knows what it will be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, and they do not even know how to go to the city. Now, we've seen this already. All wisdom literature at some point talks about what we talk about, our speech, the content of what we share verbally in the world. And so, quite simply, I have think before you speak. Think before you speak. And this is very popular. It's on um, Obadiah's second grade classroom wall in Miss Peebles' class here at Crossroads. Think, T-H-I-N-K. Before you speak, is it true? Second, H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Now notice, I don't say T before you speak, because most of us, you have the truth, right? And you go to speak, but you're forgetting, is it actually helpful? Is it inspiring? Sometimes, some of us are a little brutal with the truth, aren't we? I'm right. That's no good. No good. Because that's not kind. So we need to think before we speak. And we've seen this already. We've talked about this in so many different ways. What you find in these verses is that he's saying a serpent, a snake will bite. And guess what? A babbler, somebody who uses foolish speak, they'll bite too. Unprovoked. The problem with our speech is that it hurts sometimes. I had a pastor once told me, I told him, I'm like, Pastor Andy, I feel called to go into the ministry. He's like, oh, Daniel, don't do it. Don't do it. Great counsel, you know. He's like, don't do it. I'm like, dude, you're a pastor. He's like, no, 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 man. When sheep bite, they bite hard. I'm here to tell you sometimes. God's people can be just downright mean. You know why? Because we all can be downright mean, can't we? Just got to think before you speak. You need to watch that mouth. Notice what it says here. There's the juxtaposition between foolish talk 
and wise talk. Look at what it says. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. There it is. God wants us to speak grace. When you think about what grace is, grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Our words should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. We need to be gracious. But notice, so a wise man's speech is gracious, but a foolish, the lips of the fool shall swallow him up. (laughs) Yikes. What it says is that when you speak foolishly, your own words consume you ultimately. Now, for some of you who have been graced with that quiet, pensive spirit, and it's a little easier for you because you don't have to catch things that you say after you've already said them. I envy that because I'm the guy who's always wishing I can go back and reel that thing back in after it's over. But listen, God wants you to use your words to build up not to tear down, to inspire and to help people draw closer to Jesus, not push them farther away. Don't allow your words to consume you. And I I say that as a person who is learning how to do this every day, how not to say things that I realize later aren't a good thing to say. So think before you speak. A fool also multiplies his words. Notice that. I've always said, and I've heard it said, that if you don't, there's a proverb, not in the Bible, it's one of those world proverbs, that rather to say nothing and be thought a fool than open your mouth and dispel all doubt. How many of us, when we don't know what to say, we just start talking, right? It's like that nervous chatter, always bad. That never works. You always get yourself into a hole when you do that. And so it's interesting, the fool multiplies words. And notice, no man knows what, will, what is to be, verse 14. Who can tell him what will be after? The idea is, is that in our wisdom, we have to realize that nobody knows the future. One of the things that I find most interesting, especially when people are frustrated with you, they have painted a picture of the future that they are absolutely sure is going to happen. But is that actually going to happen? When was the last time you predicted the future properly? Yeah, right? So part of our wisdom needs to be like, we don't know what the future holds. You don't know if something's going to work or if it's not going to work. We all have an idea. I think this is going to work, but we all realize that the things that we think, time and chance happens to all things. So we have to be careful in our speech not to pretend that we actually know how things are going to work out because there is that element of time, chance, and God's providence. So keep that in in the things that you choose to talk about, make sure you realize you don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. You don't know what is or isn't gonna work. How many people probably told Noah, dude, what are you doing building this big boat? Nobody had boats, you know what I mean? It's like in the middle of the desert. What do you need a boat for? We're in the middle of the desert. Oh, it's silly. God's gonna judge the world with rain. Yeah, oh yeah, Noah is. He needs some Prozac. He's not making sense. Not making sense. But Noah knew because God told him what the future is going to be. But very few of us can claim that. So we have to think before we speak. Jesus is real. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would 
simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus' Real Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level, because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there, and Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real, and he is, and he exists right where you are, and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.